Good morning. Uh, welcome to the uh, Family Bible Hour. We'll be uh, just opening up in a word of prayer before we get started in our passage this morning, which is Matthew 15, verses 1 through 20. We'll just uh, take a moment to pray. Lord, we um, just want to consider your word this, uh, this hour and open our hearts to what you have to say to us. I pray that we would all have hearts that are soft to the, the gospel, that are soft to being renewed in our minds and our hearts to, um, to be more like you each day. We just pray that this uh, message would be taken to heart um, as we uh, live the rest of our lives. We just pray that we would all be moved to, uh, to change and live our lives more Christ-like because of it. We just pray this in your name. Amen. Oh, good morning. We're going to be covering uh, Matthew 15, verses 1 through 20 this morning. Recently, in the past couple of weeks, we've covered Jesus doing several miracles, how he fed 5,000 people, he walked on water, and then he healed uh, many, many sick people. Our message today is how defilement comes from within. So I'll read our passage first, and then we'll, we'll get started. So turn in your, your Bibles to Matthew 15, verses 1 through 20. I'll go ahead and start reading. It says, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. 
our, uh, our passage, it uh, continues. It's shortly after um, Jesus healing many people and walking on water and the uh, feeding of the 5,000 and Passover had happened recently. Um, Jesus was not in Jerusalem at the last Passover, so it's likely that the scribes and Pharisees got antsy and wanted to meet him uh, this time right after Passover. So they made what was a 75-mile journey from Jerusalem just to ask him this question. Uh, they were looking for a way to tear down his ministry in any way that they could. Um, the best question that they could ask him was, why don't you wash your hands this way? Um, they, um, they asked him, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread? Um, it's not exactly the biggest sin in the book, but um, it's the best they could stick to him and his disciples. Uh, so what was the tradition of the elders that they're mentioning? The Pharisees weren't really saying that Jesus' disciples had poor hand hygiene. He's saying that the issue was that they wouldn't follow the man-made traditions of adding to the ceremonial cleansing that God instructed in the Old Testament. You see, God gave Israel the law, and in it there were many, many different laws and different uh, descriptions of how to take yourself, uh, make yourself clean or ceremonially clean. And uh, these are all good things like avoiding touching a dead body or if uh, you touched non-kosher meat or animals or blood, you know, make sure you wash your hands. Or if you touch a leper and many things like these, these are all good hygienic things to do, um, keeping yourself from getting sick, things like that. Uh, in the Old Testament, it was told that you would become ceremonially unclean if you had touched one of these things or done one of these things. And you would need to perform a ceremonial uh, washing of your hands or body in order to become clean and enter the temple to, uh, to worship God. Over the centuries, essentially what the Jewish leaders did was they took the law of God that he had commanded and they had built another fence around it uh, possibly with good intentions in order to prevent people from breaking the law, but they, they became so focused on the fence that they had built around the law that that's the only thing that they ever saw. They were more focused on don't break this fence down than don't break the law of God. Um, so slowly over the centuries, they, they took away from the meaning of what God had commanded in the law and they built their own law essentially. They missed the entire point of, the, uh, of God's law and focused on their own traditions that were around the law. There, so there were certain ways that they would wash their hands in order to uh, ensure that they be cleansed of all their impurities. Um, essentially, you didn't wash your hands when you picked up your food and now your, your hands, which were unclean, have now touched your food, which has become unclean, and the food that is unclean is now entering your mouth, and that makes you unclean. That was their mentality of thinking. Even if the food was you know, safe to eat and wasn't prohibited, the way that they you know, didn't wash their hands would defile them, in their opinion. 
Um, also, if you walk down the street and a Gentile passed by you and just the dust from the Gentile touched your body, you would be considered unclean and defiled in their minds. It's things like this that were taken to a, an extreme level. And they were very, very particular in the way that they washed their hands. They would take water and drip it down their hands a certain way and drip it down the other hand a certain way and then this way and this way. And if the water had touched their arm in a certain way that um, the water that was now dirty had made another part of their body clean, they had to wash that part all over again. And uh, it was just very, um, I guess, they would look like germaphobes, essentially. Uh, but it wasn't the germs that they were afraid of. It was being defiled that they were afraid of. And they had many, many oral traditions and things that they would pass down over the generations. They considered these things uh, greater than God's law, actually. They were so embedded in their being that that's all that they ever saw. They for, essentially put more value in uh, man-made traditions and laws than God's commandments. And they were so strict about these things that they even considered it uh, a greater sin, or like on the same level as adultery, if you didn't wash your hands like they did. One, uh, one rabbi who was uh, imprisoned was offered uh, his meal in prison and a cup of water to drink with his meal and half of the water was accidentally spilled on the ground. And instead of drinking the water, he said, I would rather die of thirst than to, tr uh, than to tr transgress the tradition of the elders by not washing my hands this way. Uh, it just goes to show how extreme they took this, um, that they considered it a sin and even as bad as adultery to not wash your hands according to their tradition. Mark's gospel uh, in chapter 7 has a parallel story and it gives us a, another pe uh, perspective on this same story. In Mark 7 verse 3, uh, it tells about the traditions that they would do. It says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come, into the market, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. This uh, was their man-made tradition of how they kept themselves clean. And it was so ingrained in who they were at this point that they rebuked Jesus' disciples for not following it the way they were doing it. Essentially, they were asking Jesus, why are you sinning against man by breaking our laws? And in verse 3, Jesus answers them, and he really rebukes them. He says, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? See, Jesus admits that his disciples didn't follow these man-made traditions. Um, but he doesn't really answer their question, and he doesn't really need to. He responds by addressing the ones who were actually at fault. It was them. He, um, they asked him why his disciples sinned against man, and he, in return, asked them why they sinned against God, which is a greater fault. Uh, again, Mark's encounter gives us another perspective on this and gives us some more insight. In verse 8 and 9, it says, 
For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. The scribes and Pharisees held uh, a higher importance in following their own traditions than following God's law. They rejected God's law and kept their traditions. The, the fence that they had built around God's law is the only thing that they ever saw anymore. And they missed the entire point. The, the point of it was that God wanted us to be coming to him clean. He wanted us to be clean on the outside as a symbol of what was on the inside of our hearts. If you come to him cleanly washed and you could worship in his temple in the Old Testament and it showed that in your heart you were pure. You had confessed your sins before him and you had made yourself right uh, with him. But what the Pharisees and scribes were doing was they only cared about looking righteous. They didn't care about actually being pure or actually being undefiled uh, or right with God. They loved to put on a show in front of other people and look at how I washed my hands and look how you don't wash your hands like I do. I'm so much better than you. Uh, but they didn't do anything to purify their hearts, which was the bigger um, issue. Jesus continues rebuking the scribes and Pharisees and he says in verse four, for God commanded saying, honor your father and your mother and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. See the, the scribes and Pharisees had said, we say this, why aren't you following our law? And Jesus is saying, hold on, like, listen to me, I'm telling you what God says. God says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land, which the Lord your God has given you. And in Leviticus, it says that you shall revere your mother and your father. In Proverbs, it says, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Um, God's law is very good. Your parents raised you and they took care of you and that way when they're older and you're able to take care of them, you can help them in their old age when they can no longer take care of themselves. God wants you to show love to your parents who showed love to you when you were younger. He wants you to honor them by taking care of them and all the time and resources that you have available to you now, he wants you to give them back to your parents um, so that you can help them. This is a way that you can honor them and respect them. But the scribes and Pharisees knew the law better than anybody else. It's not like honoring your mother and father was one of these obscure commandments um, in the middle of Leviticus somewhere. It was one of the 10 commandments and it was mentioned several other places too. You couldn't miss it. Even children knew that you should honor your parents. But they didn't care. They looked for a loophole in the law so that they didn't have to honor their, their father and mother so that they could disobey God's law. They didn't actually care about being right with God. They just wanted to look like they were being right with God. And we can see this in the next couple of verses. 
in verses 5 and 6, it says, Jesus continues rebuking them. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. In uh, the parallel passage, Mark says that um, whatever profit you may have received from me is korban, which is a gift to God. Then you don't have to honor your father and mother. See, the, the scribes and Pharisees found this loophole. They would just say this word korban, which meant this money or possession that I have, which I totally could give to my parents and honor them, um, I'm going to dedicate it to God's glory. I'm going to give it to God. And so therefore, I don't have to honor my parents. I don't have to give to them in their need. Even though they have a very present need right now, I'm going to give this to God. Um, but they had even made another loophole in that law where they could even revoke their, um, their dedication of that money to God or that possession to God. They, could, they didn't have to give it right away. They could wait several years to give it to God or they could say they were going to give it to God and then change their mind at any moment. Um, so it was all just a show that they were putting on before others saying, I would have loved to help you, mom and dad, um, but I really can't. All of my possessions have been given to God, but at any moment, I could take them all back for myself. Um, they only cared about the appearance of looking righteous by giving to God but could care less about actually obeying God's law. And by doing this, by finding this loophole in the law that they had created for themselves, they made themselves look good, but were completely sinning against God's commandments. They really despised their parents and showed them a lot of dishonor. Um, and Jesus condemns them and calls them hypocrites because of it. In uh, Mark 17, Mark 7, uh, verse 13, it says that they have made the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you've handed down, and many such things you do. There, Jesus condemns them and basically says, you've made the law useless by all these different loopholes and ways out of not having to follow the law. He calls them hypocrites. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying... These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus, he really cares about us being changed from the inside out. He wants us to listen to his word and have a change of our heart because of what we hear. This isn't at all what the scribes and Pharisees did. They praised God with what they said and they didn't listen to actually what the law said and they didn't apply it to their hearts. They did everything that they could do to look righteous before others, uh, but didn't want to actually be righteous before God. They loved taking in God's word, but did nothing to apply it. And this hypocrisy is pictured in the book of Ezekiel, where the prophet Ezekiel was preaching to Israel and Israel loved to hear God's word through him, but they would never live it out. They would never do anything in their lives to be changed. They heard, 
but they would not do. In Ezekiel 33, it says, As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And so they come to you as people do, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Israel was, uh, the scribes and Pharisees were just like this, uh, this prophecy, both in Isaiah and in Ezekiel, where their lips praised God, but their hearts were not in it. Their hearts didn't care about actually following God's law. Jesus continues condemning them by quoting Isaiah. In verse 9, it says, In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. One of the applications that we can get out of this passage so far is taking a look at our, our own lives and thinking, am I like the scribes and Pharisees? Am I living a hypocritical life? You know, do, do I sing worship songs to God and talk about how great he is in church, but have a heart that's hardened um, to change in the things that I read in the Bible? Um, if that's the case, then your praise really means nothing to God. You can study the Bible all that you want, but if your heart is not repentant, if your heart is not softened to the, His Word, then you're just acting like these scribes and Pharisees where you're putting on a show in front of others, but your heart is far from God, as Isaiah prophesies. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be like these scribes and Pharisees. They're in this passage for us to learn a lesson not to be like them. Be sincere in your worship for God by obeying God from your heart. You can truly worship God. You can live your life as an act of worship by obeying God, by listening to his law. Don't let it just go in one ear and out the other, but let it go into your ears and directly to your heart. Out of your heart, can come true and pure worship. God isn't interested in you just following traditions or what you can say to him with your mouth when, you're, when, you're, um, when your heart is very far from him. He wants you to be obedient to him and his word. So Jesus finishes rebuking the Pharisees and the scribes, and then he turns to the, the crowd around him and he teaches them a lesson on how to, uh, like, the meaning of defilement and the true doctrine about it. He goes from condemning to teaching. In verse 10, it says that when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand. And in Mark, it says, hear me, everyone, and understand. He's making a point. Don't listen to what they have to say and don't feel 
Don't make them guilt trip you into feeling condemned, but listen to the words of life that I have. I, you know, I have the words of life. Don't listen to what they have to say. Open your heart to what I have to say because my words are much more important. And what he was about to say to them was going to turn their entire way of thinking upside down because the Jewish culture was one of cleanliness and defilement and avoiding certain foods and avoiding certain people. And it was just so ingrained into their culture and their lifestyle that this um, very obvious next verse that he says, um, which isn't much of a shock to us, was a huge shock to them just because of the culture that they lived in too. Um, it says in verse 11, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Jesus is saying something that is very, very simple, but it's very profound and it has great meaning. He says that washing your hands according to the traditions of the elders and man does not make you clean before God, but having a pure heart that's made righteous by the blood of Jesus makes you clean. Their whole system of ceremonialism in the Old Testament was a picture that God had placed for them um, of how God wants your heart to look like. Um, you can't come in to worship God when you're defiled. He only wants you to worship from a pure heart that's clean. In this specific context though, they, he does mention, um, he is talking about ceremonial cleanliness in regard to food also. And he hints at the vision that he would give Peter later in the book of Acts 10, uh, where all food would be considered clean for Peter to eat. And in that vision, Peter sees a blanket spread out in the sky and um, there's all kinds of four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. A voice comes to him and says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again. God uh, declares to Peter that eating any kind of food is acceptable now. The, the pork is okay and all the other uh, foods that were considered unclean in the Old Testament, these are fine. And later in that same chapter, um, because the Jews had considered Gentiles to be unclean and that God would never save them. They're so far gone that God could never do anything to help them. Uh, God reveals to Peter that the gospel is not only for the Jews, but also for the unclean Gentiles as well, um, who the Jews had considered unclean. And it's a great message to us that um, this message of the gospel is not just for Israel, but it's for all of the world, for all of us. Um, in verse 12, Jesus' disciples come to him and say to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Of course, Jesus knew that they were offended. He, he meant to offend them. Um, 
And he wasn't afraid to do these kind of things because these were the leaders of Israel and they were leading people astray from God. They were defiled in their hearts and they placed these heavy burdens on people that they wouldn't even carry themselves. Jesus gives us a very clear answer as to how we should approach these people. In verse 13 and 14, he says, But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. This applied directly to the religious leaders at that time and all like them. The commandments of man-made religion will not last because if it's not rooted in Christ and his truth, it is worldly and it will not last. Uh, Romans 2 goes into detail and describes these things and the hypocrisy of the error of this way of thinking. In Romans chapter 2, verse 17, it says, uh, it calls out the hypocrites who have this mentality. It says, Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve of things which are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who abhor idols, do you commit adultery? You, uh, you uh, who are idols, do you rob temples? You who uh, make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of uh, God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. So Jesus tells us what our response should be to these false teachers like the scribes and Pharisees. It's very clear, it's three words. He says, let them alone. Avoid them. Don't make it your goal to tear them down and uproot them. God is the one who will take care of all that in his perfect timing. These religious leaders were blind leaders. They were leading a blind nation. We need to be very careful who we look to for our spiritual leadership. If you encounter one of these false teachers, put what they have to say to the test. Are they just putting on this outward display of righteousness? Are they hypocrites? Are they righteous on the outside but evil on the inside? And do they practice what they preach? Jesus, uh, it can be very easy and tempting to um, just want to tear these people down right now and stop them from spreading their false doctrine. But Jesus tells us not to focus our attention on that. He's the one who will take care of that in his time. Our focus should just be to let them alone, like he says, uh, and uh, avoid them. Titus goes on and describes in even more detail why we should avoid them uh, and gives us a warning. In chapter 1, verse 10, it says, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, 
who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not, for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in their works, they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So when you encounter people like this, avoid them. God knows who his children are. Avoid these blind leaders so that you don't also be led by a blind person. But look to God who can give wisdom and insight to find teachers who have spiritual fruit in their lives and can be a strong leader in your life. Peter comes to Jesus and says to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus says, Are you still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? And in Mark's gospel, it says, um, Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart but his stomach? Jesus is expanding what he had said before by saying that you're not defiled or made unclean by the things that you eat or the things that you touch. Uh, these things, the food that you eat, doesn't enter your heart. It enters your stomach and goes through the body. These traditions that were pressed on by the scribes and Pharisees were just meaningless. That's what Jesus is telling him. They did nothing to make you pure. They did nothing to make you right before God or clean. Uh, when you were living a life that was defiled before God and breaking God's law. Uh, but Jesus continues and says in his explanation, but those things which proceed out of the mouth, they come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And to really illustrate what Jesus is saying, we can give a, a modern day example of, um, you know, the Center for Disease Control has given us these instructions. The government has told us Stay away from people, self-isolate, wash your hands for, with soap and water for at least 20 seconds vigorously. Uh, sing happy birthday if you need to while you're doing it to remind yourself at least 20 seconds. Always wear your mask. If you ever touch your mask, get a new mask. Get at least six feet in between you and others. And this is all good stuff. I mean, this will definitely help you stay away from getting sick. It'll help you from getting um, the coronavirus or the flu or any other diseases out there right now. But you could take this to an extreme like the scribes and Pharisees did. You know, there, there is some good truth and value in what the, they're recommending that we do to keep ourselves clean, but you could take this to a very extreme level. 
And you could say, okay, well, anytime I touch this water bottle, oh no, okay, wash my hands 20 seconds before I touch anything else. Uh, I touch my mask for a second, okay, new mask, wash my hands for 20 seconds, and get a ruler at least six feet between other people and create a bubble. Um, and, and then you condemn others and say, okay, you were five and a half feet between that person and you coughed without covering your face. You know, I'm gonna report you to the government. And you, know, you could be very extreme like that and say, look how bad of a person you are. But the same person, if they could be so clean on the outside, protecting themselves from the coronavirus, if they then go out and start a riot, or if they then go out and kill somebody, or uh, rob a store, or lie, or commit adultery, or, um, or they're proud in their heart, or they hate somebody, they, they are clean on the outside, like the scribes and Pharisees. They did everything that they could to make themselves look like a great person but they're defiled on the inside. They did nothing to take care of their heart. So Jesus is telling these people, it's not the things that you do on the outside that make yourself clean. It's the things that you do on the inside in your heart that make you pure before God. And you can tell, so God looks at your heart and you can tell a lot about a person by what you see uh, from what they say, because the, the mouth is, uh, the heart speaks through the mouth, and you can tell what somebody's pure intentions are and their true character by what they say, because it comes from their heart. Um, Jesus tells us that where a person's heart is, is where um, like, you can see the fruit in their life, by what they say and what they do, because it's from the heart. In Matthew 12, it says, condemning the, these uh, false teachers, it says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Your mouth expresses the true desires of your heart. And if your mouth is expressing bitterness, anger, envy, lust, lies, pride, covetousness, blasphemy, it shows what's truly in your heart. These are the things that defile you. It's not what you take in or how you clean your hands. It's what comes out of your mouth, which comes out of your heart, which defiles you. James gives us very stern warnings um, about the tongue and about the mouth because it shows what's on your heart. It says in James 1, 26, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And again in James, he says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our, mother, among our members that it defiles the whole body um, and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. Now, I'll be the first to admit that 
I can be like these Pharisees. I can be like these scribes that, where I put on a show in front of the other people, where I can play church uh, and make it look like I'm doing the right thing, but at times my heart isn't in it. I'll worship God with my lips, but my heart is like the acting like a hypocrite, and I'm guilty of it. Um, it's easy to go through the motions of church and going to um, reading your Bible and um, trying to look good in front of others, but um, having a, it's very easy to have a heart that's far away from God. In writing this sermon, I realized that I'm preaching to myself, uh, and it's a message that I need to hear, because I know that I'm not perfect, and I recognize that uh, this is an area in my life that I need to work on, um, and ask for God to give me a, a heart that's softer to his word, um, where I need to start being obedient to, to his word, because um, I really want to live a life of worshiping God through my life and through my actions. I don't want to just worship with my words and look like I'm doing the right thing. I want to actually live it out. Uh, I want to have this undefiled heart that is obedient to his word, and I want to be transformed by his word. I've been reading a lot of Romans, and this, uh, these two verses came to mind. And as we, uh, as we close, I just want to be encourage you guys to, to take up this challenge. It says in Romans 12, 1 through 2, uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. My goal is I want to be uh, transformed by the renewing of my mind. I don't want to just put on a show anymore of looking righteous on the outside, but being defiled on the inside. One way that I want to, to do this, to renew my mind, is to keep on memorizing scripture, to keep it always in the, the front of my mind, so that when I'm tempted to sin, I'll go back to verses um, that will be a guard in my heart. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. So I want you to take up a challenge to renew your mind by memorizing scripture and hiding God's word in your heart so that you could live a life that is actually undefiled, that you'll not just be put on a show in front of other people, but you'll actually be changed on the inside and worship God from your heart. I've personally taken up the challenge to memorize all of Romans chapter 8, um, taking one verse at a day. I'm about 10 or 11 verses in so far. I know my dad's taken up the challenge to memorize all of Psalm 34 with several other people. You know, take up whatever uh, you know God will help you with, whatever you feel like would be a passage or a verse that would help you in your, in your life. Uh, I challenge you to, to, to try and do this. And in conclusion, we should examine our own hearts. You know, I, in writing this sermon, had to examine my own heart and see that at times I will act like these scribes and Pharisees, but 
I have to pray that God will change my heart, that he will soften my heart to, um, to his word so that I can I'll actually live it out, that my heart will be changed. But I want to challenge you to, to look at your heart and examine yourself. Do you just also put on a show of righteousness before others, but um, your heart is not in it? Do you place a higher value in tr- keeping these traditions of, uh, of what men say rather than what the, go- the law of God says? Do you sin against God with your lifestyle, but praise him with your lips in front of others? Jesus tells us that he knows exactly what's in our hearts. That's what he cares about. He wants us to live a life that's undefiled uh, and away from the things of the world. So I hope that you'll take up this challenge to renew your minds by memorizing scripture so that you can keep yourself committed to his word and be obedient to the truths that are in it uh, as you memorize. Let's just uh, pray that we'll be able to apply these things to our lives. Lord, we are so grateful for your word again this week, um, how you speak to our hearts. You, you care what's on the inside. You want us to be changed. You want us to live undefiled before you and not just put on a show of outward righteousness, but you want us to be pure before you. You want us to be undefiled. Lord, help us to... Uh, memorize your word more. Help us to renew our minds and be transformed by uh, your word. We just pray that we'd be able to to successfully do this uh, this week. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen.